Take the mask off. Now, I don't know how many of you, uh, you know, this is not about Halloween, okay? Don't, don't, get, don't get that image. It, but I don't think, uh, I don't know how many of you came, you know, got up this morning and put on a mask physically or, you know, stood in front of the mirror. And, and I know sometimes men, we make fun of our wives. That, you know, it takes them so long to get ready in the morning. They're, you know, they're putting their mask on kind of thing. But this, I'm not talking about that. You know, not about makeup. It's not about, you know, you know it's not about that. But some of us, whether we know it or not, whether we're conscious of it or not, we got up, men and women alike, and we put a mask on before we came to church. I'm serious. Some of us did. And it's my heart's desire. My, the one thing, if I could get through to you this morning, the one thing is that when you leave here today, that you'll be content with the person who God made you to be, who you are, who you have been created in Him to be, the person you are in Christ, and that you can take that mask off. Because it's really important to me that you know who you are in Christ, the gifting, the calling of God that has placed upon your life. So I want to ask you, have you ever wished you could be somebody else? Come on. Have you ever wished you could be somebody else? Maybe as a child growing up, you dreamed, you know, I think Charles growing up as a child dreamed of being a Dallas Cowboy. Hey, did you ever? Did you ever? Come on, did you, you know, Tom, I'm sure you, you know, you wanted to be Johnny Busick or Bobby Orr or somebody in the, in the Bruins, you know? I mean, you know, we, we play that game as children, don't we? We pretend we're somebody else. And, you know, when, when I was a kid growing up, yeah, I was a hockey player. I mean, I, I was probably any one of the Bruins you could pick. I'd gladly be Johnny Busick. I'd, I'd be Terry O'Reilly, Peter McNabb, Bobby Orr. You know, I, I didn't want to be the goalie because I wanted to be the one scoring the goals. But we play, you know, and, and little girls, I, you know, my little girls, they play dress up and they'd get out the, the old clothes. And I mean... I know that some of us, you know, I'm saying we put on a mask. I don't think necessarily we as adults play dress up anymore. We don't play, you know, we don't get into that. But, you know, sometimes adults are just as guilty as their children of playing pretend. It's a common kid's game. But I want to tell you this morning, take the mask off. Be content with the person that God has made you to be. And here's where the rubber meets the road. It's in Isaiah 22.10. And I'll give you a little bit of background to this, this portion of Scripture. Isaiah 22.10. The city of Jerusalem had become under siege by their enemy. And one of the common tactics of the enemy was when they attacked a city, you know, the city was surrounded by a wall. And so the enemy would build a siege mound. And that siege mound would be made out of dirt and rocks, earth, trees, whatever garbage, whatever they could pile into that siege mound because they were building a mound just to, to, so they could try and climb up and get over the wall of the city. And in Isaiah 22.10 declares that you numbered the houses of Jerusalem and the houses you broke down to fortify the wall. Now I want you to get an image of what's happening here. The city of Jerusalem is under siege. They're being attacked by the enemy. And the very purpose of the enemy is to destroy the city. But in order to destroy the city, they've got to get within the wall. But what happens is that the residents of Jerusalem, it says they numbered the houses. Of, it's like they took an inventory of the houses that were in Jerusalem. And as the enemy kept attacking and besieging and laying siege to the, to the walls of Jerusalem, it says they numbered the houses of Jerusalem and the houses you broke down to fortify the wall. You see, they started taking Jerusalem apart from the inside so they could continue to build that wall. The houses were being broken down so they could continue to build the wall. 
And they were destroying themselves from the inside in order to keep the wall up, trying in the effort to protect themselves from the work of the enemy. They actually succeeded in doing the work of the enemy by destroying themselves. Now let's relate this to ourselves when I tell you to take the mask off. Because how many of you face issues in life and go through things in life that you don't want other people to know about? Come on, let's be real. You're going through things in life and, and, and you, don't want, you don't want other people to know about it. And so, you know, you get ready to come to church this morning and the mask that you might be wearing, might, it might look like that yellow happy face. You've got that smile on. Deep inside, you're, you're in turmoil. You're falling apart inside. If people only really knew what you were going through, but you, you know, yeah, I mean, it, it, when people say, hey, how are you doing? You give them that answer. Oh, I'm fine, just great, and you got that smile. And the enemy's coming against your wall, and so you, you just tear another piece of your inside out to try and build up that wall, try and keep up the defenses, try and pretend that everything's good, everything's all right, because you, don't want, you really don't know if you can trust your brothers and sisters to really care about how you're doing. And, if you're, and you're worried sometimes if you really share how you're doing, it might just blow them away. And so just like the inhabitants of Jerusalem, we continue to build the wall. We continue to build the wall around us, and we're tearing ourselves apart inside. The energy that it, that it takes to keep up that facade, that smile on your face when you're broken inside. When really, you know, we sang about it this morning all through worship, you know, I will build my life on his love because I can trust in him. And it comes down to that fact this morning. We can trust the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We can trust God because he's formed us and planned us and he's planned our days. He's, he's given us his spirit within us and he's called us and set us apart with a holy calling. See, he's begun a good work in us and he's faithful to complete that which he has begun. And I, I want to tell you this morning, let's take the mask off and be content with the person that God has made us to be. And as we put our faith, our hope, our trust in him, we can let that wall come crumbling down and allow the Spirit of God to do a work in our lives. Are you ready for that this morning? Are you ready for the Spirit of the Lord to do a mighty work in your life? We need to take the mask off. We want to walk in the victory that Christ has for us. And we no longer want to try to hide who and how we really are. And so I want to give you three principles this morning. Three principles to live by. Three principles that will allow us to, to understand who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, and that we can put our faith, our hope, our trust in him alone. And in doing so, we can take that mask off. Number one is to discard your past. Discard your past. I mean, how many of us are tormented with memories of our past? How many of us, you know, we wake up and we think, oh, I hope today's going to be better than yesterday, better than last week, better than last month, better than last year. We need to learn to discard our past. The past is the past. And I know Pastor Ron, you know, says, says that God's not burdened by your past. He's not caught up in your past. He's dealt with it. You know, Christ dealt with our past at the cross. When we come to Christ, when we lay our lives at the cross, and when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, what we're, we're told in Scripture, what? All 
things have passed away. All things have become new. Well, let's, let's read it. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So I want to tell you this morning, don't be burdened by your past. But let's look at this a little bit deeper. Let's think about the guy who wrote this scripture. Of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. But the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is that you? you, Is there anyone here that's in Christ? Amen? He is a new creation. And I don't know how many of you got up this morning and said, Hey, it's great to be awake. I'm a new creation. But, you know, we need to remind ourselves of those things. That we are new creations in Christ. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But I know some of us face burdens, memories, accusations. See, the enemy wants to bring accusations against us. Oh, you, you're a Christian? Well, why did you do this? Oh, are you, you're born again? Why did you do that? Don't you remember back, you know, I mean, I've got a past. I've got a past. But it, and it took me a while to get to the place where I could leave my past behind. Because the enemy wants us to be focused on our past instead of on our future, of where God's taken us. But let's look at the Apostle Paul here. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, I want to give you a little bit of history of what Paul's lifestyle was. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, we find out what Paul was up to. Hey? We found out what he was doing. And you can, you can turn with me, if you will, to the book of Acts. We'll spend a little bit of time there. Acts chapter 8. We'll begin in verse 3. Now, you know, this is the Apostle Paul... This is following Stephen the martyr has been stoned. And and you remember that Paul was a young man named Saul, and they laid their coats at his feet as they were stoning Stephen. And he was in perfect agreement, perfect consent with this. This is before Paul's conversion. In Acts chapter 8 at verse 3, and it says, As for Saul, this is who he's known by here in Acts chapter 8. It's before he became the apostle Paul. But it says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. He made havoc of the church. Havoc of the church. The Apostle Paul was not a friend of the church. He was not a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says he entered every house and dragging off men and women. He would drag them out of their own homes, committing them to prison. And and we go on in Acts chapter 9. Verses 1 and 2. This is the, the, this is the reason Paul was on the Damascus Road. Then Saul, it says, still breathing threats and murder. Again, listen to the language. Threats, murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, this is talking about the church, the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. See, it wasn't just good enough for him to pull men and women who were believers in Christ out of their homes in Jerusalem and commit them to prison. Now he's expanded his hatred of the church and he's gone on his way to Damascus. He's on this road to Damascus with letters from the high priest giving him authority, again, to take men and women who are believers in the church and bind them and bring them to prison. This man was an evil man. He was an enemy of the, of the church of Christ. Galatians 
in verse 1, or chapter 1 of Galatians, and verse 13. It says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. This is Paul telling the churches in the, in the province of Galatia, you've heard about me. You know what I was like. You know my former conduct, how I persecuted the church of God. It, was, it wasn't just a little bit. It wasn't just hard. It wasn't just, he's saying it was beyond measure. I persecuted the church beyond measure and tried to destroy it. He tried, let's, listen church, let's, let's be real here. He tried to destroy the church. But look at 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. I know we're going through this really quick, but I, I just want to establish something here. In 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, For I know of nothing against myself. What? For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Hold it, this is the guy who just said, you know my former conduct in Judaism, how I tried to destroy the church, how I persecuted the church beyond measure and tried to destroy it. But here to the Corinthian church, he writes, For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, And in verse 2, he writes, Open your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. And church, this is the same guy. This is, I mean, he's called the Apostle Paul now, but this is Saul after his conversion. How could he write that? Isn't it some kind of a, an imbalance there? Some kind of hypocrisy? That this guy who, who tore people out of their homes, Christians, believers out of their homes, took them out of their homes and, and had them bound and put in prison in Jerusalem, this guy who was on the road to Damascus to do the same thing to the believers in Damascus, to arrest Christians and believers and have them tortured and put in prison, the one who said, I, I persecuted the church beyond measure, I tried to destroy it. How could he now write and say, I've wronged no one. I know nothing against myself. Oh, we've corrupted no one. We've cheated no one. But I can stand before you today and say, he's not a hypocrite. He's not a hypocrite. He just knows what it is to be a new creation. That all things have passed away and all things have become new. That's why he could write 2 Corinthians 5.17. That if you're in Christ, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See, the Apostle Paul had this revelation of what it was to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. And his past was in the past and that's where he was leaving it. Church. Let's take the mask off and leave the past in the past. That's the first step for you to recognize who you are in Christ and be who God's made you to be is to leave the past in the past. And when the enemy tries to remind you of what you've done in the past, then you just need to step up and remind him of what Christ has done for you. Remind him of the cross. Remind him of the precious blood of Jesus that washes all your sin away, that cleanses you from all unrighteousness.
See, he knew what it was to be a new creation in Christ. That's why he could write those verses in First and Second Corinthians. See, we need to forget about the past. We need, you know, sometimes I, I get this mental image of us walking around carrying this old suitcase with us. And in that old suitcase is full of all the old dirty laundry, the things that we've done, the things that we lived, the things that we've gone through in the past. And you know what? That suitcase stinks. It stinks. I, I could tell you some days of, well, what I, could, what I could really liken it to is when I would open up my hockey bag, you know, after playing a weekend of hockey, and, and you, you know, you get sweaty in that equipment and stuff, and you, you take your uniform out and you wash your, your hockey sweater and, and, your, and, your, and your, your socks and stuff, but the rest of the equipment that's so close to your body, the shoulder pads, you know, the knee pads, the elbow pads, all that other stuff, man, you couldn't put it in the washing machine. And after three or four weekends of hockey, you, you'd open that hockey bag to let it air out and run. It just would reek. But see, that's what it is when we're carrying around that old suitcase full of yesterday's sin and reminders and accusations that the enemy brings. We need to let the past be the past. Amen? We need to let the past be the past. Forget about the past. We need to empty that old suitcase. You see, I, I, I have a, a friend up in, in Dallas-Fort Worth area, Pastor Jeff Wickwire. He wrote a book a few years ago. It's called The Windshield is Bigger Than the Rearview Mirror. The windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. He, and, and, you know, the thing is, we need to be focused on what's ahead, focused on our future. Yes, we check the rearview mirror. We check where we are. We check our side mirrors. We check on what's going on around us, right, when we're driving. But you can't go forward if you're always focused on what's in the rearview mirror. See, the principle in life is the same thing here. We've got to discard the past. Forget about it. Let go of it. Because you're no longer that old man. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Amen? So principle number one, discard your past. Principle number two, discover yourself. Discover yourself. Be the real deal. Be the real deal. How many of you want to be the real deal this morning? You want to be the real deal. You want to be the man or the woman that God has made you to be. You're going to take the mask off and not try and pretend to be someone else. See, Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14 says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, did you get up this morning and say that? You know, when, you, when, when the sunlight hit your eyes, did you say, Oh, man, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Have you ever said that about yourself? And if you did, say it out loud. Would your spouse look at you and think, well, what are you talking about? Hey? Have you took a look in the mirror lately this morning? Hey? Have a good look in there first. But, you know, that's, this is the truth. It's not about what's on the outside. It's who we are in the inside. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's room. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. You see, you're a marvelous work of God. You're a marvelous work of God, and that my soul knows very well. We, we, we need to say it this morning. Let's say it. I am fearfully, come on. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's say it real loud. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, for many of you, that might be the first time you've ever said that about yourself. You may have got up this morning and said, oh, man, I'm hurting, I'm aching. 
gosh, oh, oh, do I have to look in the mirror? I don't want to see that face again, no. You know, if I could just brush my teeth, if I could do whatever I need to do to get ready without a mirror, that'd be great, right? Some of you have such poor self-images of yourself because you've listened to what the enemy tells you, what the world tells you. You know, we live in a society today that if you don't fit what's advertised, man, well, you're a loser. But I want to tell you today, God sees you as being fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, it says, and that my soul knows very well. So this morning, we're going to discover who we are in Christ. We need to, to be free. We need to be the real deal. We need to celebrate our unique design. How many of you know you are unique? There's no one on this earth that has your DNA, and there's no one on this earth that is just like you. So we need to celebrate our unique design. And I'd say as, as you celebrate your unique design, as you find out who you are in Christ, you will find your place. Okay? So we're going to look at this word place, and, and we're going to find out a few things about this. As we celebrate your unique design, you'll find your place. Number one, the P is for passion and compassion. Ask yourself, what are you passionate about? What really stirs your pot? Okay? Is there an injustice in the world that really, you know, gets you heated up a bit? What is it about the church? The body, is, do you love to get into the Word? Do you love to teach the Word? Is it about being with children or, you know, uh, raising up little kids and teaching them nursery songs and, and th you know, Bible stories? What are you compassionate about? What is your passion? What is it in life that just gets you really excited? Hey, we've all got something that we're passionate about. You know, that thing that you could do all day and it doesn't, just doesn't seem like work? You know, Pastor Ron talks about how he can get, you know, on a Saturday, he'll close himself up sometimes, you know, 12, 13, 14 hours and study the Word of God. And the time just flies by because, hey, he's passionate about it. It doesn't seem like work. You know, it doesn't seem like work for us because we love to be in the Word of God. We're passionate about it. We can get, is it, is it you know, Lane's been doing a great job filling in leading worship, hey, hasn't he? Do you notice there's something about him? There's a compassion about, I mean, he just loves it. You just see it. It exudes from Pastor, Pastor Ken. It just exudes from them. They love what they do. And you can see it. There's, there's a passion there. So what is it about you that, that you have a passion or compassion about? Something that really, 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 can I use this expression? Can it, it turns, do you use it down here, turn your crank? Do you know what I mean? It, gets you, it turns your crank, you know. It, 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 it gets you started. You know, it revs your engine. You know, uh, some of you don't, understand, don't know what a crank engine was. But, but I, grew, I mean, again, I'm giving away my age. You know, we sometimes on the farm we had to crank the old tractor to get it started. What is it that turns your crank? What is it that gets you excited? What is it that you're compassionate about? And then the L for place, your life experience. See, God's planned and ordained our days. And many of the things in life that we go through, that experience is to prepare us for the next step ahead. You can't discount your life experience. You can't live in the past, but we can learn from our life experience. And do an evaluation of what God has brought you through to get you to this place where you are today. And learn from that life experience. Learn, you know, Pastor, you know, Brother, Brother Dean this morning talked about decisions, making decisions. We need to learn from our decisions. And so what is our life experience? What have we done in life? What has God used us and brought us to thus far in our life that we could say, man, you know, I've experienced that, but I don't want to do it again. I've had a few of those experiences. 
I did children's ministry for a little while. That wasn't my yoke to wear. But I've learned from it. Thank God for that experience. And now I'll move on. What is your life experience? And then, you know, the A in place, your abilities and your skill. I mean, let's get real. Let's talk about, you know, some abilities. Has, has God given you some ability and some skill? Dan and I were part of a church back in Saskatchewan. We had a, a, la a lady there who was wonderful with children. Oh, man, she had skill to work with children. She loved, and, 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 the, and the kids loved her, and, and, and she was wonderful at teaching children, raising up children's ministry. But she wanted to be the worship leader at the church. Sad thing was, I mean, she had no ability and no skill. Praise and worship with her would have been screech and howl. That's really, I mean, and I'm, I'm being gentle, you know. She could not sing. She could not carry a tune. She could not clap on time. I mean, you know, I mean, all of that musical, there was nothing there. But she desired that pulpit ministry in front of people. Rather than going into the place where God had gifted her and given her a natural ability, a natural skill to work with children. And sometimes we just need to be real and say, hey, you know what? Yeah, that's great that they can do that. But I need to be content with who I am in Christ and the gifting, the ability that God has placed upon me. Well, that's getting into the E, but we'll talk about abilities and skill. The next is character, personality. You know, your character is very important. Character, who you are, your personality. Some of us have, you know, outgoing personalities. Some of us have, you know, uh, Dana and I, we've done these personality tests. I'm an introvert. To, for me to be standing up in front of, in front of a, a crowd like this, that's a real stretch. People who, who, who see me as a pastor, I, I think I've told you this story. Um, when Dana and I were in Leader, Saskatchewan, pastoring, it was our first church that we pastored as senior pastors, and, and uh, we had been there a few months and got invited to the Christmas banquet that the senior citizens' home put on. And, and as pastors, all the pastors in the community would gather and, you know, we'd take a Sunday. Every month we'd go to the seniors' home. We'd alternate. And, and so it was the, the Christmas banquet the senior citizens' home was putting on. And because I was the new kid on the block there, I was invited to say the, the evening prayer and, the, and ask the Lord's blessing on the meal before they served the Christmas turkey, you know, and all the fixings were there. And there was a young uh, a nurse at that seniors' home that I had gone to high school with you know, spent four years in high school with her and, and uh, hadn't, in, hadn't connected with her for many, many years. But when she was in the back of the hall at the seniors' home, when they introduced me to come and ask the blessing on the meal before we partook of the meal, and they introduced me as the Reverend Casey Sitter, and I heard her from the back of the hall snicker. And she said to, said to the person next to her, I went to school with a Casey Sitter, but it sure wouldn't be him. So I climbed up onto the platform like this and stood behind the podium and looked at her. And you could see her, you could literally, from the, from, the, from the back of the hall, you could see her eyes get big like this. And she took this gasp and sucked all the air out of the auditorium. So it is him. Well, you see, our character and our personality, that is subject to change. But God's looking for people of godly character. He's looking for people who will be submissive to His will and to His word and to His way. 
And then number three, or the last point here, the endowments and the gifting in place. Your passion, your compassion, your life experience, your abilities, your skill, your character, your personality. But what are your endowments? What are your giftings? What are your Holy Spirit has gifted you with, endowed you with? Because that makes the biggest difference in your life. See, without the Spirit's anointing, without God's Spirit in my life, I couldn't stand before you today. I couldn't do what I'm doing today without the anointing, without the grace of God upon my life. And we need to learn to trust in God's gifting and trust in God's endowments, trust in God's anointing to be who He's called us to be. He's called us and He will call us and He will equip us to do what we've been called to do in Christ. You see, we get into this place, and I've talked to you a little bit about this before. We get into this place where we start to compare ourselves with other people. And, and you know, it's, it's really dangerous for us sometimes if we compare ourselves to others and think, well, I can't really do that because I can't be as good as Him. But God hasn't called you to do it like Him or be as good as Him. He's called you to be yourself, to do it the way you can do it, with your gifting, with your, with your endowments, with your passion, with your compassion, with your life experience, with your abilities and your skill. And again, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, he said, For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. There's a whole lot of themselves in that verse, isn't there? Hey, we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves. He says, it's not wise. But we get caught up in that comparison game. Hey, we get caught up in that comparison game. And we think, oh, man, I've got to be just like him. I've got to look just like him. I, you know, I, I, I told you when, when Pastor Luke was standing up here, I want to get me one of these. Yeah, that's a nice Fender Strat guitar. But just because I had that guitar wouldn't mean I could play like him. Because it's in the hands. It's in that gifting, that endowment, that anointing. We get caught up in being, oh, we've got to compare ourselves, you know, I thank the Lord for Pastor Ron, but I'll, stand, I'll be the first one to tell you and say, I can't be Pastor Ron. I thank God for Pastor Ron. He's tremendously gifted, talented, and the ability that he, and the anointing God upon his life, but there's only one Pastor Ron. I can't be him. He can't be me. And you know what? We don't want to be. Can, uh, we'll just take a little time out here. Tom, would you come up? Tom's going to volunteer this morning. Come on up on the platform. Come on. Give him a hand. Let me try that jacket on. Come on. You can do better than that, can't you? <laughs> Not if I want the jacket back. You see? This is sometimes what it's like if we get caught up in that comparison game. You know, and we, and we, we, we start... Oh, well, there you go, yeah. <laughs> this is what it's like. But God didn't call me to wear His yoke. And he didn't call Tom to wear my yoke, right? We're, we're, to wear each, we're to wear our own yokes that he's made for us. And so here we are, you know. 
but sometimes we get caught up in that thing. We try to, we try to wear somebody else's yoke. And it works just like that. You know, this is me, you know, years ago when I was in children's ministry, flopping around. Oh, I could put it on and I could get by in it. And, and yeah, maybe I could go like this. But it really wasn't a good fit for me. And you know what? Those kids knew it. I mean, there's one, you can't fool children. Oh, you can't. And, and, and you know, hey, maybe that's, that, maybe that's you uh, playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Eh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you. But do you understand what I'm talking about this morning? You got to be yourself. You got to be who you are in Christ. You see, you got to be who you are in Christ. You don't need to be anybody else. God made you to be the original, the real deal. And don't get caught up in this comparison game. You are a unique individual with unique giftings, talents, and abilities that God has placed within you. You see, the argument that we say, well, you know, I'm too limited. Moses tried that. Do you ever argue with God? Hey, Moses argued with God. Moses said to him in Exodus 4.10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, neither before since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. He said, Oh, I'm too limited, God. You, you know, you ever tell God he's got the wrong person? God, you don't know what you're doing. That's what it sounds like, hey? But here he is arguing with God, saying, I'm too limited. Gideon said, I'm too weak, but I want to tell you, you're not too weak. And Judges 6.15, Gideon says, so he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. We're just too weak. You know, us, our clan, this smallest clan in, 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 in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. I'm too weak. Lord, you've got the wrong guy. One more time, God makes a mistake. No, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm being sarcastic here, right? You know? Saul, who became the king, thought he was too insignificant. Everybody, anybody here identify with that? That you're too insignificant? That, that you know, you're, you're not famous, you're not well-known? In 1 Samuel 9, 21, Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? See, we're just too small. Nobody knows who we are. This little clan in Benjamin, this little tribe of Benjamin, and, and, and my father's house, and we're, we're the smallest of the smallest of the small. Nobody knows who we are. Why would you think I'm going to be the king? I'm not famous. I haven't done anything great. I'm just too small. I'm too insignificant. I'm too unknown. But maybe God's searching for some unknowns with godly character and godly gifting and anointing who will walk in obedience to him. Amen? You're not too young. I know a lot of our youth are are in India and they're experiencing this mission trip. Some of them for the very first time are young adults, but you know, you're not too young. Jeremiah said, in Jeremiah 1.6, then said, I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But God says the gifting and calling of God are irrevocable. It's without repentance. You're not too young. You're not too young to follow and obey God. 
If he's put his hand upon you, if he's called you, if he's gifted you, then you're not too young. And the opposite is the same for those of you who might think you're too old, that you've missed it. That, oh, you know, maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe, maybe when I was just getting out of high school or going into college, maybe then it would have been a good time to follow the Lord. But you know what? Genesis 21 and 5 tells us, no, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. You're not too old. Those of you who are senior citizens seated here today, you're thinking, you know, yeah, that was okay, you know, back 20 years ago, 30 years ago, maybe then. But I want to tell you today, you're not too old to follow God. You're not too young to follow God. You're not too insignificant to follow God. You're not too weak to follow God. And you're not too limited to follow God because it's He who is living within you. It's He's placed His Spirit within you and He's called you and ordained you and given you His Spirit to guide and lead you. And if you put your faith, your hope, your trust in Him, discover yourself. Be the real deal. Amen? Be the real deal. So number one, discard your past. Number two, discover yourself. Be the real deal. Be who He has made you to be. And number three, determine that you are complete in Him. You are complete in Him. Complete in Him. You see, we have to understand that He's placed His Spirit within us. Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10 says, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. We need to tear down this trying to become stronghold, you know, putting up these walls and, and saying, well, I'm not a complete person. No, we need to understand that in Christ we are complete. We need to take the mask off, tear down that trying to behold, uh, stronghold and settle once and for all that we are complete in Christ. Amen? Because I ask you this morning, who dwells within you? Who dwells within you? By His Spirit, He has chosen to dwell within these earthen vessels. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of all heaven and earth, the sea, and all their sources has chosen you for His resting place. Isn't that, I mean, that just blows my mind. Amen? He's chosen to dwell within us. See, it says we are complete in Him. Complete. Can I, can I give some free advice to the young men today? You young guys that are out there, don't be looking to her to complete you. You better be complete in him. Because there ain't no young lady looking for half a man. She's not looking for half a man. And you better be complete. You better know who you are in Christ and that you are complete in Him. And don't think that she's going to be the one. Yeah, God will make a helpmate for you. I mean, he, he knows the perfect person that you should be joined with. He'll make a helpmate for you that is perfect and complements you in your life and ministry and purpose of God. But you've got to be complete in Him first. She can't complete you. And she's not looking for half a man who isn't complete. I thought I'd get a little bit louder response from that from the women, but... But that's just, that's just some free advice for you young guys out there. Be complete in Him. Be complete in Him. See, you are complete in Him. He's placed His Spirit within you. He's placed His Spirit within us. The Spirit of Almighty God. 
the creator of all heaven and earth, the sea and all their sources, the living God who hears and answers prayer. He's placed his spirit within us. And we need to know that through Christ, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We discard our past. We discover who we are. We take that mask off and be who God has made us to be. And we determine that we are complete in Him. How many of you want to be the real deal? I'm reminded of a story that I was told by a young mother. And I believe I told you this story many years ago. This young mom had a, a, a young son named Jeff. And little Jeff was born with Down syndrome. And Jeff loved baseball. He loved to go to the baseball games and watch his older brother. He'd sit in the bleachers and watch his older brother play ball. And he'd cheer loud and, and hard and, and, and he had no inhibitions. I mean, he just loved the ball game. And he, and he, he did, you know, he was a great little, little guy. Loved going to ball. And this happened year after year, season after season. And, you know, Jeff Malone said that, you know, sometimes the miracles in life happen, but not in a way that you think they should or seem to be. But one season, Jeff's parents were approached and asked if they wanted to enroll him in a little league team for children with disabilities and special needs. And they were kind of apprehensive about it because they've always kind of sheltered Jeff and, uh, you know, try to protect him. And, and they did, really didn't know how this would work, you know. But, boy, he was excited about baseball. And so they finally decided, yeah, we'll, we'll take the step. We'll take the step of faith and we'll get him enrolled and, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. And, you know, if it's too hard or, if it, you know, if it doesn't work, you know, then we can always pull him out. But at least we can say we tried. So they paid the enrollment and they registered Jeff for this special Little League team. And the day came when the uniforms arrived and, and Jeff's mom took him after school to the community center to pick up his uniform and he was just buzzing. He was so excited. And she takes him in and, and she gets his uniform and now Jeff, he can't wait to get home and try that uniform on. He just can't wait to get home and try that uniform on. And, and he knows they're going to get home about five minutes before Dad gets home from work and, and he wants to present himself in that ball uniform. And she says, you know, they, they had this conversation on the way home. You know, well, you know, you know we're, we're not sure how this is going to work and, we, we, you know, we want to be careful. And she's not trying to get his expectations too high because she doesn't want to have to let him down too, you know. But they get home and he's, I mean, he grabs that uniform on the hanger and he's flying through the door and he runs up the stairs and just like the flash, I mean, he's gone. And she goes into the kitchen and puts a pot of coffee on and she's got all these emotions going through her mind of thinking what's going to happen and then in the meantime dad comes home and and they meet in the kitchen and they're talking about this and they can hear Jeff you know he's scrambling up there in his room he's getting his clothes off and he's getting the, the uniform put on and he comes running down the stairs and he gets to the to the bottom of the stairs and he does a little spin and he comes running down the hallway and if I didn't have my shoes on I'd kind of try to imitate it but he gets off the carpet into the kitchen of the linoleum and he does one of those slides you know on his sock feet right in between mom and dad and he looks up at them, and he's just beaming. He's got this ball uniform on. And he says, look at me, Mom. 
He says, I'm a real boy now. See, you got caught up in that comparison game. And she said, with their hearts in their throats, they knelt down and just grabbed him and huddled around him and said, Jeff, you've always been a real boy. Isn't that the truth? Amen. He's always been a real boy. But sometimes we get caught up in this comparison game. We think if we're not just like the other person, if we're just not like this or that or the other thing, if we can't do it like he did it or play as good as he did or sing as good or whatever, then it's not real. But see, God sees the value in each and every one of you here today. Regardless of your abilities or inabilities, regardless of who you are, regardless of your past, discard your past, discover who you are, and know that you are complete in him because God sees you as a complete individual, as his child, as his son, as his daughter. You're a real son, a real daughter right now. And you can do all that God's called you to do. You can be all that God's called you to be. For it's his spirit that works in you both willing to do for his good pleasure. Amen.